Welcome to Flip the Script, your go-to podcast about health disparities. My name is Max. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Harderman. She's a Blue Cross Endowed Professor of Racial Equity at the University of Minnesota at the School of Public Health. I'll let her tell us a little bit about herself. Hi, Max. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to participate in your amazing podcast. Um, Again, I'm Rachel Hardiman, and I am a reproductive health equity researcher. Uh, My program of research broadly applies the tools of population health science and um, health services research to dig into what I consider to be the most critical and complex determinant of health inequities um, in our society, which is racism. Um, So my work really draws on critical race theory and um, reproductive justice as frameworks to inform um, my work around the empirical evidence of racism's impact on health. Um, And an important part of that work for me has been to think about what does that mean for the folks who have the privilege of caring for people in our healthcare systems. And so some of my work is focused on medical education and both understanding what it means to train providers to be um, to pro- provide more equitable um, care, particularly to um, black and brown patients. But also, you know, I think, you know, another part of that is the importance of really being able to ensure that those who are going through the medical school process and becoming physicians, and I also identify as people of color, or particularly black and brown folks, um, have a safe experience and an equitable experience as they're going through the process of becoming physicians. Mm-hmm. That part is real personal. I mean, all of your work, but like what you you know what you just talked about in terms of what med- like what medical education uh, is like, especially for um, uh, trainees of color. Um, so I, you know, I'm in my last year of medical school. I've been acquainted with your work over the last four years or so. Um, and I've seen some of your studies where you're looking at medical student mental health. Uh, I'm curious what led you to start, uh, to, you know, start going that path, uh, looking at race, gender, and socioeconomic status and how those, um, you know, how those traits are, you know, associated with medical student mental health. So I think there's a couple of reasons or a couple of things that led me to this work. Um, first is that I had the opportunity to, as a grad student, to work with Dr. Michelle Van Ryan, who has been a pioneer in really um, leading the field around the impact of implicit racial bias in the clinical encounter. And she um, had just been funded by the National Institutes of Health through NHLBI, the National Heart, Lung, Blood um, Institute, to um, study the impact of medical school and residency organizational climate Um, role model behavior and sort of thinking about the formal and informal training experiences on new physician biases and characteristics and how they're associated with disparities Mm -hmm. in care. And then a secondary sort of um, aim to that that study was to look at the characteristics um, um, in medical school and residency programs on outcomes among new physicians, particularly those who are members of marginalized social groups, so underrepresented minority folks, sexual minority folks, um, and really to think about this premise of if we truly believe that diversifying the healthcare workforce is going to be a critical, um, play a critical role in improving um, in, in, in improving health equity, what is happening within our medical schools that's either, you know, deterring 
that for, you know, students of color from being successful, or are there some things that are good and ha that are happening that are supporting them? And so, um, you know, we've had this study, the study was funded in 2010, and we've been following the same um, cohort of just under 5,000 students from their first, very first year of medical school. Um, and so now, of course, you know, in 2020, they're all um, practice for the most part. Um, so we've had the privilege of studying and, you know, following this cohort through the years. Um, mm -hmm. the, the second part, um, and sort of the second reason I was compelled to dig into the mental health and well-being of students of color is, you know, personally as a grad student, as a Black grad student, um, you know, I, I, I certainly experienced those feelings of, of isolation, um, being the only student of color in my cohort, um, you know, being one of the few in my doctoral program generally. Um, and so as I thought about my own lived experience, thought about the lived experience of my spouse, who's a clinician and was going through medical school at the same time that I was studying these issues, it felt like a really important sort of um, um, convergence of, of both the lived experience and also the, the data that we, um, that we had to inform this study that uh, really led to me wanting to kind of dig into understanding these characteristics and these factors more, more deeply. Mm. And so what have you found in terms of medical student mental health, um, uh, you know, especially related to the climate and medical school? So, you know, I think we have found a few different things. Um, you know, first, what we see is that, um, you know, Black medical students are at greater risk for depression and anxiety um, in that first year of medical school. Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, in many ways, not surprising as we, as, you know, I think particularly for people, um, you know, people of color and black folks who are entering into institutions and spaces that um, were not always, um, you know, sort of built for their success. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see, and then you layer on sort of just the sheer, you know, um, challenges of being a medical student already. It's, it's a hard process. Um, and you bring sort of those two things together and we see that there's a greater risk, right, for, um, for poor mental well-being. One of the other things I was really interested in exploring um, was racial identity. So basically, and what I mean by racial identity is how um, sort of the extent to which a person, you know, defines um, himself or herself with regard to their race. Mm -hmm. And in the social and in the sociological literature, what we see is that racial identity is, is protective, particularly for young Black um, children. Mm -hmm. um, we, we see that, you know, having a sort of strong self-concept of what it means to be Black mm -hmm. um, is really protective for them when they're, particularly when they're in, um, when they're in school settings. And so I was curious to see if that tr translated to the medical school setting, because there actually is um, at that time, there was actually no literature to support that one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we, we were able to sort of measure that with the changes study and, and understand what was happening there. And what we found was that um, first year Black medical students who had lower levels of racial identity were um, less likely to experience depressive and anxiety symptoms in their first year of medical school. And that was after controlling for some of those important social predictors of poor mental health, like gender and socioeconomic status. Um, and so I think, you know, that, that work and that, those analyses really sort of offer this new insight into the relationship between racial identity and, you know, social cycle stress um, or psychosocial stress. 
um, particularly with respect to this, you know, high achieving group of, um, of young adults. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think about sort of from the point of like, so what do we do with this information is that, you know, surprisingly, at least surprisingly to me, and I would love to hear what you, what your experience has been. It seems like, you know, what we're seeing is that coming in with um, sort of a, a high level of racial identity is not protective, right? So if you think, you know, if you're thinking of your, are you really sort of defining yourself based on your race, um, that actually can add more depression or more, be more harmful um, in these settings such as medical school. Um, yeah, uh, so I mean, I am one of those, right? Like I went to Howard for undergrad, I lived in Atlanta for two years immediately after and I like, hung out only with other people who went to Howard and Morehouse and FAMU. Mm -hmm. So like my network for like six years of my life was like very black. Uh, I mean, I mm -hmm. was in Georgia Tech. I, you know, I was in graduate school there. Uh, but the moment I left, the, you know, my lab, I like went to the west side of Atlanta and, and like that's what I hung out with. Um, and so I, I I can see that actually, right? Like, and, and even when I think of myself compared to some of my classmates uh, and where we are on that spectrum in terms of yeah. like, how how strongly do you identify with your blackness or like how strongly do you feel that being black is like a very key part of your identity? And like, I think one of the things that it does in medical school specifically, and I don't necessarily know whether that is the same, you know, across graduate education, but one, we are significantly more aware of the things that tend to make people feel more depressed, like, you know, yeah. um, like microaggressions. I'm actually part of a, um, of a paper that uh, uh, with uh, Dr. Darwinbot right here mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. Yale that looked at the, uh, microaggressions and, um, uh, uh, and depressive symptoms in medical students. It's not published yet, but he's presented at a few places so far. Uh, and so we are more, I mean, I'm just m way more aware of, of like, you know, people coming for me, uh, as we'd say, right? Uh, more aware right. of people coming right. from my friends. And usually uh, also the people who have the sort of like strong racial identity um, or like the, you know, highest racial identity, whatever, uh, People come to us also for to right. be the, the ambassador of blackness, right? Like people don't go right. to the person who doesn't hang out with black people. Like, right. Um, right. so people come to you because they want you to explain something related to race. Uh, people come to you when somebody does something racist to them that they didn't expect. It's like you, uh, you, you know, there's an additional kind of some of it is a burden. Some of it is like, this is what I do, right? I'm black and I'm proud. Mm -hmm. but, but I think eventually it does wear on your soul. Um, so I think that's probably um, what, you know, what's happening there. It, it, there's, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it's a, it's a form of secondhand racism, I think, right? Absolutely. To, to be reminded of how racist the society is. Um, and so, uh, that probably also plays into it if you know at least from my personal experience yeah i mean I, I completely agree and then you know on top of it um those same students you know you are asked you know then to represent sort of the entire black race to describe sort of what's going on or why you know 
or you know answer those questions on behalf of your community um, for your medical school class and you know all of that is you know are parts of the climate the the, the climate and the racial climate in medical education that we um, have been tracking and sort of seek to understand more about um, with the changes study. Um, another thing I was going to mention before we move to the next question was with respect to the to our research on um, you know the mental well-being of Black medical students. One of our um, one of the other papers. This one was led by my colleague Dr. Sylvia Perry, who's at Northwestern University now. Um, we also looked at you know racial identity. Um, and found that um, discrimination is actually, so students, black students who, um, who perceived their race to be more central to their personal identity also reported um, being more harmed by sort of the racial discrimination that was happening in their medical school settings, which again, I think is not a surprising finding for those of us with the lived experience of being, you know, being black and particularly when you have that high racial, you know, racial identity centrality. It's an an important piece of this puzzle to understand as we are thinking about building sort of inclusive, um, you know, there's this whole movement now to build these more inclusive spaces and, you know, embrace diversity and equity, but we have to be really thoughtful about actually what that means that and means. how to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, now, one of the fun, and you you hinted at that in your previous answer um, it, that I've seen in your study, uh, that also felt validating was that, um, for instance, uh, Black men uh, were even worse um, risk of depression and had worse social support and and uh, and coping uh, mechanism. Yeah, I and mean, so I mean, generally, first of all, I should start out by saying that you know the changes study we um, you know had I think that or I, I mentioned this earlier on our sample size was just under four thousand. I mean, just under five thousand medical students from fifty medical schools across the United. States. Um, mm -hmm. And these are folks who started medical school in 2009. And, you know, our sample of Black students out of that, like, 4,900, our sample of Black students is was 300, mm -hmm. right? Or 301. So it's hard to... It's, it's minute, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a tiny, tiny sample. Sadly, that sample size reflects the um, matriculation of Black medical students into medical schools mm -hmm. nationally. Right. So like we, um, you know, our, our sample is responsive to sort of what the numbers look like across the country, mm -hmm. um, which speaks to a, you know the issue we have around um, training black doctors. And then what we also know is that and there's been a few great sort of commentaries over the years around black men um, as sort of the quote unquote unicorns of medicine. Right. There's mm -hmm. so few. Um, you know, so while while the field of medicine has become more gender equal, um, you know, so if you look, regardless of a race, you know, it's 50% uh, men, 50% women. But when you look by race, like the number of black men in medicine is tiny. Um, and so I think, and then when you spread that out over all of the medical schools across the country, of course, you know, there's um, more social isolation. And we know that social isolation, particularly in these sort of high um high stress situations and high stress realities like medical school um it's going to contribute to burnout and you know poor mental well-being mm. i feel that so what that makes me think you know as you know you started mentioning black men are for, for like the past 20 years or so have made up like a third of black medical students 
and and the trend is kind of stagnating there. And and I guess what you, I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of uh, what. Like, you know, what diversity standards could be or should be. So the, for instance, the LCME, uh, which is the, you know, accreditation body that is like in charge of medical schools, like in 20, I think in 2012, they, um, they instituted new like diversity standards because mm -hmm. the percentage of women enrolling in medical school had been, had been like slowly going down similar and, and same for the percentage of like black medical students. And immediately after those, the, you know, the standards were created, you, you start seeing a reversing of that curve. But, um, you know, but if you look deeper, the gains, obviously, in terms of percentage of an, an enrollment for black medical students, that didn't really affect um, how many more or, or how many black men mm -hmm. enroll in medical school. It's been pretty stagnant. And, and I guess I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of um, what does policy making look like when you're trying to, um, uh, to you know, to set diversity standards, right, in, in medical school? Uh, or, or in general, right? Like, yeah, um, right, right. You know, I think about this in two different ways. First, you know, a lot of my work thinks about structural racism and how we, um, how we conceptualize and operationalize it in order to measure it and therefore create policy solutions, right? So, um, I mean, from a very at a very big, broad sort of structural level, you know, police have to stop killing black men, right? We still, we need uh, we need for COVID nineteen to not disproportionately kill black men um, and black communities and all you know mass incarceration. All of those big policy changes that need to happen are certainly going to. Um, improve and support, better support sort of the pipeline for folks who want to study medicine. I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, when, when I think about this sort of on a, um, what I would call like a lowercase p, right, policy level, you know, there's, there's so much more work to be done at the admissions level um, to, to improve sort of um, um, entry into medical school. So, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, and you know, you talk about giving away your your R01 topics. This is, um, and this isn't necessarily an R01 topic, but I've been thinking a lot about like what would like medical school reparations look like, right? So like, mm -hmm. what would it look like if we said, you know, what any land grant university across our across our country that um, has a medical school, um, they have to be, you know, they are legislatively responsible for ensuring that. The, um, the, the student body in their medical school reflects the population in that, on that land, right? Mm -hmm. In that state. So in Minnesota, 13% of, of Minnesotans identify as black or African-American. I can assure you that not 13% of our medical school student body is black or African-American. Um, and you know, part of medical school reparations would then be, so not only does it need to reflect that, but it also needs to be supported financially. Um, you know, so much of this is, I mean, even, you know, as we think about sort of generational, intergenerational wealth and who gets to build that. So, you know, my family, for instance, you know, my, my spouse went to medical school and is now a practicing physician um, and doing family medicine and caring for people in an underserved community and is also saddled with a great deal of student loan debt from that medical education um, and so we also have to be thinking about this within the, you know, within the, you know, the from a sort of social determinants and social factors point of view and thinking about how do we both get folks in the door, support them while they're there, um, both 
um, you know, emotionally and mentally, but also financially, so that when they finish, they can go on and practice and not be, you know, saddled with that and can actually build intergenerational wealth with it for their families and their communities. Absolutely. I, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, well, Dr. Hardiman, I don't want to take too much more of your time. This has been great. Um, I love hearing about your work and uh, I am looking forward to having you once again as a guest to talk more about the you know other research that you've been up to. Thanks everyone for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of Flip the Script. <laughs>